Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Some survivor stories are so incredible that they are almost unbelievable. This is the case with a young girl who survived a devastating plane crash, which left her stranded and alone in the middle of the Amazon jungle. How could she have survived not only the miracle of a fall from almost two miles above the earth, but a second miracle of surviving for ten days in one of the wildest and most dangerous places on earth? This is Twisted Travel and True Crime. Welcome aboard. I'm your host, Sandy, and I live on a sailboat with my family. You may hear the sounds of the ocean in the background, as it's never completely quiet on our boat. Today, you might also hear some noise coming from inside our mast, as I kicked my poor husband out of our berth to record these, because it's quieter than my daughter's berth. I'm a little later than normal with the release of this episode, because we sailed from Puerto Rico to the Grenadines over the last two weeks. And we are now stuck in quarantine as part of immigration and COVID procedures here. This means very limited internet, but as soon as we secure a reliable connection, I will release this one. You're in for a treat today. This is an incredible twisted travel story and a story of survival. Enjoy. We are traveling to Peru today. Peru is home to the Andes and parts of the Amazon. It also boasts what is believed to be the oldest site occupied by humans in the Americas. A couple interesting notes are that three quarters of the alpaca population come from Peru. And if you're a foodie, roasted guinea pig is the national dish there. I'm pretty sure our main character today would have been happy to eat some roasted guinea pig during her harrowing adventure. On Christmas Eve in 1971, Julianne Kopke and her mother were passengers aboard a flight from the Peruvian capital of Lima to the inland island of Cocopa, where her parents worked. Julianne was a pretty young lady, a petite blonde high school student. Her parents worked for the Natural Museum of History in Lima. Her father was a biologist, and her mother's love of birds led her into becoming an ornithologist. When Julianne was 14 years old, her parents left Lima to establish a research station in the Amazon rainforest. It's here where she became a confirmed jungle child, learning a lot about the animals and life in the rainforest. She lived with her parents in the jungle for almost three years, but as she grew older, she began attending high school back in Lima. Julianne's mother had wanted the two of them to fly to meet their father at the research station a few days earlier. The then teenager, only 17 years old, begged her mother to stay a little longer so she could attend a school dance and a graduation ceremony. Of course, most mothers would want to honor the wishes of their teenage daughters attending high school events like these, so they postponed their departure date. When they arrived to the airport, traveling on one of the busiest days of the year, Christmas Eve, they learned that several flights had been canceled the day before. The airport was crowded, Hundreds of people were crowding the ticket counters. 
At 11 a.m., they gathered for boarding. She and her mother sat in the second to last row of the plane near the tail. They were assigned a three-seat bench. She was in the window seat, which was her preference. Her mother sat next to her, and a heavy-set man sat in the aisle seat. Julianne's mother didn't like flying. The reason she didn't like it was because she was an ornithologist, and she didn't think it was natural that a bird made of metal would be able to fly. The first half hour of the flight was uneventful. They were served sandwiches and a drink for breakfast. About 10 minutes later, as the flight attendants began to clean up, the pilot flew into a huge thunderstorm. Her mother muttered nervously, I hope this will go all right. It didn't go all right. They were flying over the Amazon rainforest in the middle of the day. If it were a clear day and the passengers looked down, all they would see was green. This day was cloudy. The airplane, a Lockheed L-180AAA, flew into a very dark cloud and was struck by lightning. That sounds scary, but lightning strikes on passenger planes are fairly common and are usually harmless. This lightning strike, however, was lethal. It hit the wrong spot and the plane's engine caught fire. Julianne said she saw a blinding white light over the right wing and she didn't know whether it was a flash of lightning or an explosion and she lost all sense of time. The airplane began to nosedive. From her seat in the back, she could see down the aisle. Her ears, her head, and her whole body were filled with the roar of the plane. People were screaming with fear as the plane began to shake violently. Bags of Christmas gifts and clothing fell from the overhead lockers. Sandwich trays flew through the air and half-finished drinks spilled onto passengers' heads. Overall, the sounds of screaming and roaring, she could hear her mother say clearly and calmly, Now it's all over. The plane was falling fast. People were shouting and cringing in fear. The roar of the engine turbine suddenly went silent. Her mother was no longer at her side and Julian is no longer in the plane. She's still strapped to her seat on the bench and falling from an altitude of about 10,000 feet, which is almost two miles or three kilometers. She's all alone and falling fast. As she was pummeling towards the earth, she felt that everything was much quieter, but she couldn't see anything around her. The seatbelt squeezed her belly so tight that she couldn't breathe. All she could do was feel her fear, and then briefly she lost consciousness. A few seconds go by. She comes to and realizes that she's upside down and she's still falling. The Peruvian rainforest was spinning quickly towards her. She remembers thinking that the treetops looked like broccoli. She felt like she was looking at them through a dense fog and then she passed out for the second time. When she finally regained consciousness, she had landed in the middle of the jungle. Her seatbelt had become unfastened so she must have woken up at some point and unconsciously unfastened it. She crawled further and deeper back into the shelter of the three-seat bench that she was fastened to when she fell from the sky. She was wet, cold, and muddy. She lay there weakly for the rest of the day and the night. The next morning, she opens her eyes to see the tops of the giant trees above her. The sunlight was golden and shining through the trees, which gave everything a greenish glow. At this point, she felt abandoned, helpless, and utterly alone. She took a minute to pause and look around her, and again saw that her mother's seat right next to her was empty.
Julianne still couldn't stand up. She felt too dizzy. She heard the soft ticking of her watch, but her eyes were blurry, and she couldn't read the time. She felt like she couldn't see straight and began to notice that her left eye was swollen shut. Her right eye was swollen too, but there was just enough of a slit to see through. Her glasses got lost along the way, but when the swelling subsided, she was finally able to read the time. It was 9 a.m. She felt too dizzy and overwhelmed, so she lay exhausted on the rainforest floor. She attempted several times to raise her hands and knees, but she felt so dizzy she had to lie back down. She tried again and again, and eventually she was able to hold herself up on all fours. She took a little bit more time to evaluate herself, touching her collarbone. It had been deeply painful, and she believed that it was broken. She also found a deep gash on her left calf that looked like it had been cut by a rough metal edge. But strangely enough, it wasn't bleeding. She crawled around on all fours, searching for her mother, calling her name and screaming for anyone, but only the voices of the jungle replied. She found a box, which she opened, and found toys and a small soaking wet Christmas cake. That was when she remembered it was Christmas Day. She tasted the cake, but it tasted terrible, and she threw it away. Julianne said, The rainforest can seem pretty threatening, especially if you've never been there before. The huge trees cast mysterious shadows, and water seems to drip constantly. The rainforest also has a unique, musty smell. It comes from the plants, intertwining, growing, and decaying. Insects are everywhere. They rule the rainforest, and Julianne encountered all of them. There were ants, beetles, butterflies, grasshoppers, mosquitoes, and flies that lay egg under the skin or in wounds, while tiny bees liked to cling to her hair. Luckily, Julianne had lived in the jungle long enough with her parents to have become acquainted with many of the bugs and other creatures that fly, scurry, scuttle, or scamper. She was lucky she had paid attention to her parents when they were teaching her about the jungle. The only problem was that she was trying to recall this information after having a bad concussion. After 24 hours on the jungle floor, she was extremely thirsty. She reached up to the leaves above her and shook the thick droplets of water that were sparkling on the leaves into her mouth. She would lick them up. As she slowly gathered her senses, she began walking in small circles around her seat because she knew how quickly she could lose her orientation in the jungle. She wanted to keep the seat in sight. Eventually, she roamed further. She memorized the location by studying the markings of one tree. It helped her keep her bearings, but she found nothing. She found no wreckage, no trace of the crash, and no people, but she was lucky enough to find one bag of candy, and she ate one. When she later spoke about her experience, she was remarkably calm. The Peruvian Amazon is home to countless venomous snakes, poisonous frogs, crocodiles, anacondas, and electric eels. She forced herself to remain calm, and this is what saved her. Without her glasses, the very short-sighted teenager had to step very carefully. She had lost her shoes on the way down and was only wearing a sleeveless mini-dress. She held a stick, hitting it on the ground in front of her every few steps to frighten off any snakes or creatures that might bite her. The snakes are normally camouflaged well and blend in by looking like dry leaves, but luckily she didn't meet them, or maybe she just didn't see them. 
The stick hitting made her movements slow and arduous. She knew it was the small creatures that were the most dangerous. The large ones would stay away for the most part, but the insects and snakes were much more likely to lay her on death's doorstep. She spent one day searching in vain for her mother before she decided that she needed to move on and find help for herself. She could hear the hum of airplanes now and then flying overhead and was thrilled that people were searching for her and the other passengers, but soon the hum of the engines faded away. All she could hear now was dripping, dripping in a quiet gurgle of water that she hadn't noticed before. She listened carefully, and not far away she found a small spring, and this filled her with hope. Her parents had taught her that not only could she drink this water, but she was convinced that the trickling stream would lead to her rescue. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Her father had taught her that the streams lead to rivers and the rivers lead to people. So she tried to follow the rivulet. This wasn't always easy because there were huge tree trunks lying across it or large areas of heavy undergrowth that blocked her way. Little by little, the rivulet grew wider and turned into a stream. The stream was partly dry so she could walk easily beside the water. Around six o'clock in the evening, it started to get dark in the rainforest and so she would look alongside the stream bed for a spot that she could protect herself and spend the night. She eats another one of her candies. On December 28th, four days into her entrapment in the jungle, her watch stops for good. It had been a gift from her grandmother. She tries to remember to count the days as she goes forward. The same day, her watch stopped. She heard the noise of a king vulture landing. She recognized it from her time at her parents' reserve. The sound of the bird made her feel frightened because she knew they only landed where there was a lot of carrion or dead flesh available for the bird to feed on. She knew that the flesh had to be the bodies from the crash. When she turned a corner in the creek she was following, she found an airplane bench. It held three passengers rammed headfirst into the earth. She was paralyzed with panic because it was the first time she had seen a dead body. Her mother could be one of them, but when she touched one of the corpses with a stick, she saw that the woman's toenails were painted and her mother would never polish her nails. She immediately felt relief, but then she felt ashamed of that thought. The stream that she followed turned into a larger stream and then finally into a small river. The date of the plane crash was in the middle of the rainy season, so there was barely any fruit to pick and she had already run out of candy. 
There were plenty of palm trees, but she didn't have a knife. If she did, she would have been able to cut the palm hearts out of the stems. This would have made a delicious salad and given her some much-needed sustenance. She couldn't catch any fish or cook anything, and she was afraid to eat anything else because most of what grew in the jungle was poisonous. She wouldn't touch anything that she didn't recognize, but she did drink a lot of water from the stream. Juliet recounts how she mixed up the days on December 29th or 30th. She said, The fifth or sixth day of my trek, I heard a buzzing, groaning sound that immediately turned my apathetic mood into euphoria. It was the unmistakable call of a subtropical bird that nests exclusively near open stretches of water. These open stretches are where people would live. In her home near the research station, she would hear the call of this bird often. She felt joyous, and this caused her to walk faster, following the sound. Finally, she found herself standing on the bank of a big river, but still, there was no one in sight. She yelled and couldn't hear anything, except, once again, the occasional sorted sounds of the jungle and the occasional sound of planes in the far distance. As time passed, the noise faded, and she began to believe they'd given up. They've probably rescued all the passengers except herself. Now she's beginning to feel angry. How could these people turn around and give up on finding her? How could they leave her here alone, probably to die? She doesn't give up, though. She keeps moving and finally reaches an open stretch of water. After all these days, her anger gives away to a terrible sadness and despair. Even with these vastly changing emotions, she doesn't give up because she thinks there's a river and people can't be too far away. Eventually, the riverbank grows too dense for her to carry on hiking alongside it. She knew that stingrays would rest in the shallow water along the riverbanks, so she walked carefully along the side of the river. She would drag her feet so they would move instead of accidentally stepping on one. She felt like her progress was too slow so eventually she decided to swim out into the middle of the river instead. The stingrays didn't like to go into deeper water, but now she had to look out for piranhas. Her parents had taught her that fish are typically only dangerous in water that stands still, not quickly moving rivers. She decides to essentially float down the river on her back because she was too tired to walk much further. She relied on her knowledge of the jungle and the water to move more quickly and to survive. She said that sometimes she would see a crocodile on the bank and it would start to move into the water towards her, but she wasn't afraid because crocodiles don't tend to attack humans. I don't know about you, but if I would have miraculously survived the plane crash, I would surely have died in the jungle. She had knowledge and skills that most of us don't. At night, when the sun would start to set, she would search for a safe spot on the bank, somewhere safe where she could try to sleep. Mosquitoes and small flies were constantly buzzing around her head and would crawl into her ears and nose. The worst nights were when it would rain. The rain felt ice cold. There was no warmth to be found in her thin summer dress. The wind felt like it would cut bone deep on these cold, dark, lonely nights as she cowered under a tree or in the bushes. She felt utterly alone. During the day, she floated and swam along as long as she could stand it, but she was getting weaker and weaker, and she knew she needed to eat something. One morning, she felt a sharp pain in her upper back. 
When she reached around behind her to touch it and see what was wrong, her hand came away bloody. The sun had given her second-degree burns. She began hallucinating. Her eyes and ears were convincing her that she would see the roof of a house on the river bank, or hear chickens, or she would smell cooking. She was so tired she was becoming delirious. She would fantasize about food, from simple meals to fancy feasts. These imaginary meals would lift her spirits, but they wouldn't give her any strength. Every morning she had to force herself to get up and get into the water to keep going. Along the way, one of the cuts on her body became infected. A fly had laid eggs in one of the wounds on her arms, and maggots were starting to eat the flesh. She tried as hard as she could to pick them out, but it wasn't working. She was afraid that the infection would cost her her arm. She also noticed that many of the animals she came across weren't afraid of her at all. Monkeys and deer would come right up to her. She fretted that the animals were unfazed because they had never seen a human being before. Thoughts continuously creeped in that maybe there wasn't anyone out there to help her at all. After about 10 days with no food, 17-year-old Julianne was feeling weak, extraordinarily weak, exhausted really. She had spent that day drifting in the water, constantly bumping into logs when they crossed the river. It would require a great deal of strength to climb up over them, and it took strength to fend herself off and not break any bones when she would hit the logs. In the evening, she found a gravel bank that looked like a good place to sleep. When she woke up, she saw an empty boat. She thought that she was hallucinating at first, so she kept staring at the boat and began moving slowly towards it. Even if she did want to move quickly, she couldn't because at this point she was too weak. She reached the boat and she found a little bit of a pathway up a small hill. She crawled up on her hands and knees and found an empty hut and a barrel of diesel. She remembered her father showing her that one of their pets had been injured, an infection had set in, and maggots had climbed into it. He poured diesel on the wound and the dog's life was saved. She siphoned the diesel from the barrel and poured it over her wound. The pain from doing this was excruciating because for a short time she felt the maggots digging deeper into her wound, but eventually it brought the maggots to the surface and she was able to pick them off. She had to dig deeply for a few of them. She counted each one of the disgusting parasites. There were 35 in all. At this point she was starving to death, so she tried to catch frogs to eat. She didn't know that the frogs she was trying to catch were poisonous, but she was too slow to catch them anyway. She considered floating in the boat to find help, but she didn't want to steal it, and she really felt too weak to move the boat much anyway. Instead, she decided to stay at the hut for another night. The next day, she heard the voices of several men outside. When she heard them, she said that it sounded like the voices of angels. The lumber workers came through the clearing, and when they saw Julianne, they believed they were seeing a water spirit called Yamoja. This is a water spirit that is described as pale and blonde, and unlike almost everybody else in that country. The Yamoja looks like a mermaid and are protectors of women. Julianne wasn't a Yamoja, but maybe, just maybe, she had one watching over her as she floated down the river. To add to the miracle, these lumber workers only came through that area once every three months, and were usually only there for a day. Julianne introduced herself in Spanish and explained what happened. 
They treated her wounds and gave her something to eat. It was her first real food in 10 days. The next day, they took her back to civilization. The day after that, she was reunited with her father. He could barely talk in the first moments when he saw her. They just held on to each other. She soon learned that of the 91 people on board the plane, Julianne was the only survivor. So how did she survive the plane crash? Speculation is that her plane seat spun like a helicopter blade to slow her fall. The dense foliage from the trees slowed her inevitable crash even more. Not only that, but her seat belt was strapped tight enough to keep her in her seat for the entire fall. I'm guessing that her young age, resiliency, and the fact that she was unconscious when she hit the ground and plenty of really good luck helped too. She had nightmares about the crash for a very long time and felt survivor's guilt. She later found out that her mother had survived the crash initially but was badly injured and couldn't move. She died after several days. It tears Julian apart to think about what her mother's last days were like. Julianne is now a librarian and studied zoology. She wrote a book about her experience called When I Fell from the Sky, the true story of one woman's miraculous survival. There are two movies made about her too. One was produced by Werner Herzog, who incredibly had planned to be on the same flight she was on before a last-minute change allowed him to escape the fate of all who died in the crash. Thank you so much for listening today, and a special thanks to Susan C., who says, I love your voice and the podcast. Well done. Thank you, Susan. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to give the podcast a nice review and a five-star rating. Or if you'd really like to, and I'd be ever so grateful, you can sponsor the podcast by donating a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Any of these options would be greatly appreciated. There are links in the episode description that will allow you to do so. That is also where you will find my sources. Thanks once again, and I'd like to wish you all fair winds and following seas. Thank you.